Well, turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 7. And as I mentioned, it's it's an amazing thing what God has done to demonstrate his perfect plan by taking certain uh, functions, not just to illustrate his point, um, but most definitely to give us, to hopefully give us a clear picture of of his desire, of his plan. And so one of the ways that we see that we've been studying and looking at is this, this concept of the high priest. The high priest. And again, going back to the Old Testament, when we first came up upon this office, because remember, this is an office, um, just like the, the office of an administrator, the office of a pastor, uh, the priesthood was an office, and and that office was set right in the heart, in the middle of the twelve tribes of Israel, and and part of the daily functions of being amongst uh, the brethren. And so this was never intended to be, you know, like the 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 monks that are you know up in the in the the Tibetan monks that you know are hidden and remote from everybody else. No, that, that's, that's not the picture that, that God was trying to paint. In fact, it was they would be right in the middle in the centers. And, and the point of that is God is constantly, from the first pages of Scripture, trying to draw near, trying to be close, to be intimate with his people. It, it, it's, it's sin that creates the separation. And, and, and we know this. We, we know this to be true in our own personal lives. When, and it starts when we're little kids. And when we sin, we, we have shame. And then we want to hide. And we, wanna, we, we don't want to talk. We want to close off. We, it breaks relationship. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very wicked thing what, what sin does. Most of the time, the sinner becomes angry. The sinner becomes... Uh, even even more deceptive, right? And so as, as the sin builds, it just gets worse and worse and worse and it, it drifts away. And see, and so God's trying to pull you back, just, just like a parent. The, the last thing a parent wants when their child is struggling, when their child is in the depths of sin, is to, to go further, right? To, to move away, to, to not talk, to not communicate. In fact, it's like, no, we should be the first place you go. We love you the most. We are the most gracious, more, most merciful, most forgiving, most kind, you know, the ones who have the most invested. Well, this is how God is. And so we see this order then of the high priest, which is a beautiful picture of intimacy. But an earthly priestly function isn't enough. And, and we just see a glimpse and a picture God had something far greater designed, far greater designed for, for a high priest, and that was through Jesus. And so the basic components of, of the priesthood and what was going on in the temple and, and, and the priestly duties is, you know, they, they dealt with the, the spotless lambs, right? The sacrifice. 
they dealt with altars and making sacrifices on the altars for the forgiveness of sin. And, and then the priest was a, was a person, a, an officer who had a duty to do that. And so you put those things together and well, well that's what redemption is. That's what atonement is. That's what the process of the forgiveness of sin is. And God was painting this, this picture from the very beginning, but that was, was just a foreshadow of something amazing to come. And so today we're going to see uh, four descriptions of, of a perfect priest. And it's not just so that we fill our heads with information. It's not just so that, you know, we can, you know, report back to somebody, oh, this is what a priest is. This is what a priestly function is. No, there's a point, and the point is, and we see this in Hebrews 7 too, is God wants us to draw near, even through the priest, which again is is counterintuitive to us as human beings because we tend to, to not go toward the priest, but to be even further. Oh, he's the holy man. He's the righteous one. He's... He's, you know, better than me. And so, you know, we, we can't really even relate to him. And then that guy, because he's separated, because he does holy things, because he tries to remove himself, he becomes arrogant and separated too. And so it's like the, this, the system is not going to work. It can't work the way uh, we see it through humanity because of sin. Now, remember where we are in, in history here in the book of Hebrews. We What we have is... Uh, you know, the long history of Israel. Jesus has come on earth and is, is now shifting everything from the old covenant, the Old Testament, to the new covenant. There's a new covenant now through Jesus who has died on the cross for sins. We're in the early stages of the church. And what you have is a great transition from predominantly the foundation being, uh, you know, Jews, Judaism, to now Christianity. But there's a great confusion here, a massive confusion. And part of that would be tied in with, you know, you, you have a bunch of priests. You have, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, you know, the priesthood. And, and all of a sudden, could you imagine if we're all to look at that and go, yeah, well, that, we, we don't do that anymore. All of a sudden, one day, it's just, yeah, we, we, we don't have a president, we don't have uh, congressmen, you know, we, we, we don't have Senate. Well, maybe that's a good thing, but um, it would be a good thing, especially if you had Jesus, right? And so literally you have this, but then there's, well, what do we do with them? Well, who, who are they? What's their function? Uh, and so there's, there's confusion, and, and, and part of Hebrews is kind of walking them through it and, and walking us through it and so that we we put our right emphasis in the right place. And so we're going to see these four descriptions then of a perfect priest and uh, through a, a, a picture of a priest, um, a perfected priest, a permanent priest, and then a preeminent priest. And so turn to Hebrews 7 if you're not already there and uh, let's... Uh, dive back into into the word verse one for this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the most high God 
who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all spoils, was first of all, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. So his name is King of Righteousness, King of Salem. That's his name. And then within that, Salem, which means King of Peace. With without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. Well, first, just some some notes we we make this this Melchizedek his 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 priesthood comes from a very unique place of authority the most high god the most high god it doesn't come from a tribe it doesn't come from a you know well okay you know there, there's cities but then there's cities right um you know there's there's Seattle, and then there's Ravensdale. I mean, you know, we don't really care what the people of Ravensdale. I mean, they're Ravensdale. He's like, no, no, no. I'm for. I'm a priesthood from the Most High. It doesn't get any bigger, greater, better than that. Um. And so we're we see now that uh, we're called to draw near to God through through a pictured uh, priest. Well, this one is made. Like the Son of God, made like the Son of God, a priest of the Most High God. Uh, it doesn't get any any bigger, any grander of a title than this. When we see this idea of of made like, right? Instantly, we we should think in terms of okay, well, what does what does that mean? It, for some of you grammarians, maybe it instantly triggers oh, simile, simile, right? I see the word like. Uh, and you should think that. And the idea here is, is to model or to copy. Uh, the idea here is, you know, to, to, to paint a picture. To paint a picture. And so Melchizedek is, is, is painting a picture. Pain, painting a picture then of a priest who was made like the Son of God. He's not the Son of God. Melchizedek wasn't the Son of God, but he was made like the Son of God. And again, remember we were talking about some of the discussions about whether Melchizedek is, is you know, uh, theophany and was Christ in the Old Testament. You know, 100% thinking, we don't know. It could have been, but one of the discussions and the arguments would be here in this language in verse 3 was, well, he wasn't made the Son of God, which would be Jesus. He was made like the Son of God. So he was a, a foreshadow, a picture, or a typology. And a typology of what? We, we don't want to get lost then with, okay, argument time. Okay? No, let's... Melchizedek isn't the show. The, the story is the hope of this perpetual priesthood. That's what we're looking to understand. That's the great hope. Is... Well, what kind of priest is this where there's no beginning and, and no end? Um, this is most definitely in that order of Melchizedek pointing to, to Christ who has no beginning and no end, right? And is a perpetual priest who will never end. This is a great picture then of a better 
priest. Verse 4, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham. How great was, we're looking back again to Melchizedek. How great was this Melchizedek? Well, uh, Abraham, the patriarch, the father of Israel, father Abraham. Even Abraham gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although they are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in the case of mortal men, receive tithes. But in the case, in, the, in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so what we see here is, again, we're, we're looking back to understand this priesthood. And, and, okay, how do we understand how great uh, this priest, this picture of this priest is? Well, it, it points back to Abraham and Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek. And Abraham's interaction is, well, this priest who came out of nowhere is, is given the, the utmost respect by the father of Israel himself, Abraham. Abraham shows him um, this amazing respect. And we see then a picture of an unconnected priest who is actually should be lesser by heredity, but is not. He's actually greater. And that's going to be a picture of one to come who, who technically shouldn't even be a priest. Shouldn't even be a priest. Well, how so? Verse 9. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes and paid tithes, for he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Remember we talked last week about where we were in the, in the historical context of when Abraham inter, uh, connects with Melchizedek. At that time, there is no priesthood. There is no 12 tribes of Israel. So they're having these conversations about things that haven't even yet come. Okay, so Melchizedek is in the sort of a priesthood and there is no priesthood yet anyway and um, he is going to he receives these tithes and even Levi um, would recognize that this Melchizedek is, is, is while he's in the loins of Mel, while he's in the loins right so the whole priesthood line of priesthood Aaron Levi they're all lesser than Melchizedek even though it's getting ready to come. It's supposed to be a help for us to, to get our arms wrapped around, look, it was never about the priests because this really takes place before they even were created. It was never about the lambs. It was never about altars. It, it was always, even from the beginning, even from Melchizedek, even from the Levites, it was always about the cross and what Christ was going to do at, on the cross. But this was, was just a, a picture, a foreshadow of a priesthood. 
the little Levitical priesthood could never be a perpetual or superior one. In fact, we see here that in essence, it was over before it was even started. Verse 10, for he was still in the loins of the father when Melchizedek met him. That's kind of that. I, before they were even born, this had already taken place. Uh, we see a, a great picture of this in Psalm 110. Psalm 110 foreshadows this, this idea of this eternal king who is also an eternal priest. And this one is of the order, that special, unique order of Melchizedek. Of Melchizedek, which would commonly be referred to uh, in, in Israel as this hope of the great coming Messiah. But that's why the, it, it, it all gets wrapped up and bundled into uh, the Messiah's coming. Who's the Messiah? Well, the Messiah is that, that promise of the coming king, right? The Messiah was the promise of the, the coming Savior. The promise of Messiah was also the promise of a coming perfect high priest. And so this is a picture of that. Well, the second way we can draw near to God is through, through not only this, this picture priest, but again, we, we keep saying this, but this is a perfect priest. A perfect priest. Verse 11. Now, if, if, it's a big if, big matzo ball here. If perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, from the ba- the basis of it, the people receiving the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not designated according to the order of Aaron? The order of Aaron is that Levitical priesthood. Okay, So if perfection, if you and I could have perfection, be holy, be without sin, enter into heaven because of this perfection, right? Uh, If we could obtain it, even from the forgiveness from the priesthood itself, if we could could obtain this through the Levitical priesthood, why would we need a different one? More specifically, why would we need the order of Melchizedek if the order of the Levites was better? So by definition, we should already know that there's a better one coming. Well, part of what we know because of the totality of scriptures, we know that the priestly covenant is tied into this future new covenant but they don't know this back in Abraham's day, right? Um, and so there's going to be a need for a radical change. Verse 12. For when the priesthood is, is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of the law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which... No one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning the priests. And is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such on the basis of the law, a physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. 
For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the other hand, on one hand, there is a setting aside of the former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The great hope is that we're able to draw near to God. The great hope is that we can draw near to God. Despite our sin, despite the law's weakness and uselessness. So, instead of a weak and useless law, instead of a weak and useless priest, God had a plan on the other hand, on a different hand, he had a whole nother, a whole nother plan. A whole nother plan. See, Israel kept getting caught up in this, this regimented law. They kept getting caught up in the, the, the religiosity of the thing. Right? And so, they're going to want to have arguments over, well... When Jesus comes, you know, and, and this is why this happens when Jesus comes. This is why they're, they're challenging. Well, who's your father? Where were you born? What city are, are you born in? Because you can't be a priest if you're not part of the Levitical priesthood. According to their minds. According to their understanding. that They, they couldn't see past this. In fact, they're, they're, the idea here in verse 14 is, look, we know what Moses said regarding every single tribe. See, we don't, right? We didn't really memorize the 12 tribes and, and when Moses blesses them and gives them promises and said, this is what your, your function is going to be as a tribe. We essentially remember two, Judah and the Levites, right? Because those are the ones that keep coming to the forefront. But the other 10 had roles too. And, and these guys would, would definitely know the, the distinguishing marks between them and you don't cross them. Be like being born in a in a nation where hey, if you know your daddy's a fireman, you're gonna be a fireman. If your daddy's a lawyer, you're gonna be a lawyer. It's like we all have our places. We all know what we're gonna be when we grow up. Don't mess with the system. We we're comfortable in the system. The problem is is this system was weak. It was it was useless. Wouldn't we rather have a system that was indestructible? Wouldn't we rather have a system that we could anchor our hope in? Um, wouldn't we rather have a priest that was, was without sin, that was perfect? Well, there, there was a promise of a priest like that. And that promise was coming through the order of Melchizedek. And so instantly... A, a, a framework should have started developing. Okay, the order of Melchizedek. I know the order of Aaron. I know the Levites. Melchizedek. Oh yeah, this is gonna. There's gonna be one. Doesn't really have a father or a mother. Comes out of nowhere. Isn't of the the lineage of the tribe. Um, is is serves the Most High. Is superior to all the rest. That one's coming. And nobody else was like that. Until Jesus. That's why that order's special. That's, that's the connection there. And this one is going to be perfect. 
It's amazing how in the Old Testament, they had all the laws, they had all the rules, they had all the regulations, right? What do they want? You know, freedom. I don't want to do this. This is too much. It's too much stuff. Okay, then Jesus comes and dies once and for all. And, 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 and slowly but surely, and we definitely see it nowadays, and there's a lot of denominations and churches like, we want more rules. We want more liturgy. We want more structure. We, we want legalism. And, and it's just one of those things where it's like silly human nature, right? It, we, 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 it, it doesn't matter which side you're on. You always, and God in his infinite wisdom, he, he connects both of them. Understanding human nature. It, it's an amazing thing because one of the things I keep coming back to is, wow, why? Why, why this way? Right? Why didn't Jesus come, you know, three weeks after Adam was born, right? Well, why, why not that way? And then he would, he'd say, okay, Adam, this is what I want you to tell everybody so that everybody will know from the beginning of history, this is the plan. They, they wouldn't have understood it. They, they would not have understood what, 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 what the blood atoning sacrifice was for a person. They would have just... From that day forward, it just felt like Jesus was a martyr. It's a, it's a martyr program system, right? And so God spends 2,000 years laying it out. Sin, consequence, sacrifice, blood, atoning, sin, payment. Sin, consequence, sacrifice, right? Over and over and over again. When you sin, you need a covering for that sin. So then almost when you're fed up with that system... Now you're ready. Now the world is ready. It's, it's an amazing picture. Um, an amazing picture. And so we can draw near to God not only through a perfect priest, but through a, a permanent, a permanent priest. Uh, verse 20. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath... For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. So much more also Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the world we live in. This is the, is the God we understand. This is the salvation that, that, that we have come to, which is that idea that, that this, this one would come and save us forever. And it already happened. And it already happened. But again, you have to understand that the role of the priesthood was a very temporary, short-term thing. Very short-term in, in their world. It was weak. It was useless. Why? Because sin never ceases. 
we continue to sin, which means that we continue to need a payment for sin over and over and over again. And yet God had a, a better plan. Verse 19, he had this, this better hope, a better way of bringing us near to him. And it wasn't through, you know, the, the, the judicial system in and of itself. It was through this, this love offering system, this intimate system, this, this personal system of drawing people near to him. It was a, a, a better covenant. Remember, the old covenant was an if-then covenant. If you obey me, very cut and dry, then I will bless you. If you don't obey me, then I will crush you. The problem was is you couldn't obey him. You couldn't keep the law. You, you, so we were all destined to hell. Everyone. Okay, so let's put a, a system in place where there can be blood atoning sacrifice for sin. The sacrificial system. Let's put people in place, all over the place. And boy, are we going to need a lot of them, right? We're going to need a lot of these priests doing a lot of sacrifices, killing a lot of rams and goats and bulls and, and lambs. We're going to need a lot of blood. We're going to need a lot of ceremonies. They're going to need to perform daily dues for you guys. They're going to need to do it for themselves first because they're in sin. I mean... You just got sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Day in, day out. All fruit offerings, giving offerings, grain offerings, um, Sabbaths, you know, Sabbaths that are happening all the time. Festivals and feasts, all of them tied around making more sacrifices after more sacrifices. Um, this was all painted to be a picture. Don't miss this. We still required because of our sin all those daily sacrifices <laughs> okay but that's not how we pay for them right but we sin just as much the need would be there just as much if not for Jesus being on the cross and so and, and again in God's infinite wisdom because we come 2,000 years after the cross, we've forgotten everything. Oh yeah, we, we don't know what it's like to grow up in a sacrificial system from day one as a little one going to the bloodbath of a, of, a, of a day of atonement. We have no picture of that, right? We weren't there when Jesus walked on the face of the earth. We didn't see him die on the cross for our sins. And every single day since that happened, we've become less and less and less emotional and mentally understanding of do you know what just took place no we've forgotten we've taken it for granted and so it's eh, of course that's what Jesus does I sin he forgives me and if you don't think that's true just turn on the radio go, go to a lot of other places and it's like we're all forgiven it's all good because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's like, not exactly. Not exactly the picture that, that God paints in the Bible. It's, a, it's a, not a complete story there. Now, praise God that he did provide a priest 
one priest. He did. We don't need thousands of them anymore. One per priest that would be perpetual. Verse 24. That would abide forever. Permanently. Verse 25. He is able then to save forever. Forever those who draw near to God through Him. And He always lives to make intercession for them. What an unbelievable hope and promise. And so then finally we see that we draw near to God through a preeminent priest. What's preeminence mean? Preeminence is that idea of, of one that is bigger and beggar and surpasses all other things. Verse 26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. What kind of a high priest do we have? Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So we're able to draw near to God because this priest, this priest is going to be unlike any other priest we've ever known, we've ever seen. And in Hebrews, the point then of Hebrews is to point out to us, don't miss it. Jesus was not just the king of Israel. Jesus was not just the sacrificial lamb. But did you guys blink? He was the high priest. That promise that I made to bring you from the order of Melchizedek, that promise that I made you in Psalm 110 to give you a priesthood forever, that was Jesus. Because at this point of the game in Hebrews, when this is written, they don't get it. They don't see it. And when you read the Bible, and if you've read from Matthew to Hebrews, you don't see a lot about Jesus the priest. So Hebrews then is really making this point and stressing this point, not only to the people of the time, but even to us so that we understand part of this great function of who Jesus is, is the high priest. And how, how essential is it? Well, how do you understand the cross. How do you understand what took place on the cross if you don't understand these three verses? These three verses explain what is taking place on the cross. I mean, if you really are struggling with getting your arms wrapped around, okay, why did Jesus need to die on a cross, be buried, and raise again? You go, well, first understand the sacrificial system. In a sacrificial system, when there is sin, there needs blood atoning sacrifice. So, we're going to bring in the high priest. Okay, but this one, we, we, we cannot say this about me. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens? I could, couldn't come close to saying that about any aspect of this 
and nor could any other man. And so, in, in what matters most in our life, I hope, which is the forgiveness of sin, because we're all sinners and so are those that we love, and our neighbors and our friends and our world and community. So we want to push them into the place. We want to draw them near to God. How? By pushing them towards this priest, the one who was, was holy, meaning undefiled, no sin, no sin, innocent of guilt. If he stood before the throne to, to, to have his life put before the judge, there's nothing there. Innocent. Which then separates him from any other sinner ever, or any other person, because there is no sin. Exalted, not in heaven, above the heavens. This is the Son of God, that's why. And then clearly spelling it out. This high priest is, is preeminent. He's above all else. Why? He doesn't need, and I love how this clearly spells it out, daily. Like those high priests who offered up sacrifices. What does a priest do? What does a priest do with his time anyway, right? I'm out there digging, you know, farming. I'm out there fishing. I'm out there, you know, weaving, you know, working hard, sweating. It's like, what's that priest doing back in the camp, right? Well, one of the things that he's doing is every day he's offering up sacrifices for sins. Why? Because every day he needs it. And then while he's in there, first for his own sins, but then while he's in there, he's also offering up for all of you because you guys are all over town doing all kinds of stuff, right? The one thing he knows is going on is sin. And so he's going to offer up sacrifices for you too, which is pretty cool. I mean, you know, it seems easier than hoeing, you know, but um, pretty important. But gosh, what if the guy gets sick? If he takes the day off? What if he forgets my name? I mean, if, if this is the system, um, what if I'm in a town that doesn't have one, Right? So I have to wait for once a year, once a year. And this is why that became such a powerful, important day, because I get one shot a year to take my whole family on the pilgrimage to go have my sin sacrificed for. What a weak, useless system, right? But it, it was never, ever, never. God never, ever, never intended that to be the way of salvation. That was always just a picture. Always a picture of what Christ was going to do. Always a picture of his perfect plan. And it was to, that he would once for all, and what would he offer up? Not a lamb, not a heifer, not money. He would offer himself up. This is why this is so beautiful and amazing. This, this is why the last thing Christianity should represent is, is legalism. The last thing it should represent is arrogance. The last thing it should represent is, is ego, right? It, it should represent just this amazing humility for all of us. And, and this then amazing gratitude that, that God appointed, God appointed not by law, 
Not by a law, but by an oath. Whose oath? His oath. God's oath. And he appoints a son, his son, to make this preeminent priest, perfect priest that would last forever. Um, just just a, an absolutely beautiful picture for us to get our arms uh, wrapped around. It, it's, you know, it's, it's not a process in which we are, are going to not sin. We're going to sin. And that's the illustration that we get here is there's going to be sin. There's going to be daily sin. Um, but there's a daily covering that's, that's there by this word of oath. How important is it for us to understand God's promises and covenants? It's really important. Your your whole faith is based on relying that God keeps His Word. And you're going to go out and tell other people, God keeps His Word. Let me tell you how great and awesome my God is. And so He gives us a, a historical record here in the Scriptures of over and over and over again, how God's promises are kept. Why? So that we can trust Him and have that confidence in Him. That trust and that confidence and then that awe that says, you know what? I'm not going to take advantage of this. Right? I'm going to live in respect of this sacrifice because it wasn't just an animal that was just thrown on an altar. This was the Son of God. This was Jesus who offered Himself up for me. And if in, in, in some way, shape, or form in the time continual of Jesus having died 2,000 years ago to pay in advance for all my sins over here, you know, and, and this is total illustration by me, okay? But if my sin in any way continuing and increasing added to the pain of the death on the cross for his sin, why would I want to continue in that? And, and if any way, shape, or form in my gratitude, I put a smile and please my Father who, who has laid this out for me, why would I want to sin against that? Could I? Well, if my sin is paid for 2,000 years ago, then I guess I could. I guess I can do that. But we've talked about this before. Where's the line? Where's the line where that attitude becomes, you just crossed it. You just crossed it. You went too far. And you don't know that. What you do know is how kind, how gracious, how good guys that God is to set up this, this priesthood. He, he gives us this great picture and illustration of it with Melchizedek, with the Levitical priesthood. Uh, he gives us not those guys, but a perfect priest a preeminent priest so that the sacrifice would last forever. That demands a response from us, a permanent response from us, a perpetual response from us of gratitude because it was only through Christ, only through this priest, this priest and this priest alone that our atonement was made perfect. Let's pray. Lord,
we're so thankful, so thankful for the best priests, the best priests that there ever was, ever could be, ever will be. And so, Lord, we're, we're grateful. Lord, help us to never take advantage of, of that. Instead, help us, Lord, to, um, to desire as best we can to, to then be holy, to be separate from sin, and Lord, to, to seek to draw near to you. The wonderful thing and the best thing about this is you go first. You went first. So the drawing near doesn't take place when, when we decide to finally take that first step to you. You've already done it. You've already taken the steps. You've already reached out your arms. You've already provided the path. You've already provided the payment. You've already provided the way for us to come. And so, Lord, I pray that we put our anchor in your camp and then we continue to walk towards you, drawing near to you. And at every step of the way, even as we get distracted, even as we depart with sin, even as we are prone to wander like the sheep, Lord, that we immediately then turn back. We repent. Teach us, Lord, to constantly draw near. And thank you for giving us the ability and the way and the path to draw near. It's in Jesus' name we give thanks and pray. Amen.